Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen, seen the Lord and, they, and he had spoken to her these things. Then the same day at evening, the doors being shut, the first day of the week, <clears throat> the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And when the disciples were glad, they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And he said to them, and he said this, he breathed on them, Receive the Holy Spirit. For if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with him when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it in, into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have sent me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not written in this book. But are written that you may, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. In your Pew Bibles, you can turn to page 1011, Acts chapter 8. I'll be beginning on verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official, in charge of the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way was home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This was the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. 
Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotas and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. So, we have this marvelous time, post-resurrection Sunday. We have this time to reflect on what it means to be alive in Christ. What does the resurrection say to us? What does it speak into our hearts, into our experience? What changes does the season bring about? Today, I'm happy to have with us Liz Dalwig. Her story is amazing, her experience unique as are all of our experiences. She spent time in life as a Broadway actress. She spent time in the House of Representatives, in both houses of the House of... Uh, and, and the House of Senate, basically, as television and radio uh, person, uh, coordinator, media coordinator. She has been married to a senator. She has traveled in very interesting places and circles. In recent years, she's given her time to travel and to mission and to telling this story of Jesus. Her story is one of change and transformation. Her story is one of enlivening in Christ. And today, I would like you to welcome Liz Dalwig. Liz, thank you for being here. I had a purse that wanted to come up with me. Thank you, Greg. It's so wonderful to be here and to be able to greet you and say happy Sabbath. I'd also like to say happy day, because that's what they say in Africa. Happy day. And that's what the Sabbath is. It's such a happy day. It's such a joyous day. It's a day I look forward to all week long, as did every Jew who said, Oh, it's only six more days till Sabbath, or five, or four, or three in the countdown, and... Then it was Sabbath, and I'm so happy it's Sabbath, and I'm so happy to be with you. Today is the Sabbath after the resurrection, and the resurrection is what we have that no other Christian has. We have a God who lives, who came back from the dead. You know, the thing that a person says just before they die is, usually very, very important, and everybody remembers it. When Jesus resurrected, he said to Mary Magdalene, tell them to meet me on a mountain in Galilee. And that's where they met. And what Jesus said to his disciples, he says to each and every one of us. And I'd like to tell you where it is. It's in Matthew 28... And it starts out in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. My dears, he's saying that to you. 
Go and make disciples. Disciples are followers of Christ. That's what it means. He is our teacher, and we're following him. And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I love this. And surely, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. What a promise. And what he has told us to do. In every one of us, we have a story, a special story. Pastor Greg is right. My story is different from your story, but your story is just as important because you have something special, something very different, something unique that you can share with someone else. Before we start, let's bow our heads for prayer. Beloved Father, dearest Jesus, Holy Spirit, Oh, Lord, I thank you and I praise you for being with us today. Lord, please use me. Let the words that I speak be your words and not mine. And let it touch hearts that lives might be changed because of you. Amen. When I was a little girl, I was three years old. The reason that I remember I was three years old because my birthday's in December and Christmas is in December. And my daddy dressed up like Santa Claus. And he knocked at the door. And my mama said, honey, go see who's at the door. And I opened the door, and there was Santa Claus. He came to see me, and he picked me up, and, and he put his arms around me, and he walked over, and he sat down, and he said to me, oh, you've been such a good little girl. And I said, mm-hmm. And I looked into his eyes and I said, your eyes are just like my daddy's. <laughs> and do you know, Santa Claus, God, and my daddy were always the same one, all wrapped in together. I always felt my daddy's arms around me. I always felt God wrapping his arms around me. I always felt so protected and so loved. You see, I was raised Catholic. And in my bedroom, I always had an altar. And on that altar, I had a crucifix, and I had a statue of the Blessed Virgin. And every day, I took and put fresh flowers on it. Every day, I started my day out talking to God because I loved him so much. I loved God the Father, my daddy, my Santa Claus, my love. I mean, oh, how could you have a better life than I had? I'm You know, this is so normal. Usually it's Peach who's dressing me and doing something. Thank you very much, dear. No, that's perfectly all right. (laughs) Anyway, uh, when I was in, I think I must have been fourth grade, and I walked home and I said, Mama, you know what? I know what I'm going to be when I grow up. When I'm a big girl, I'm going to be a nun or an actress. That's just what my mother did. She laughed, too. But, you know, I didn't think it was so funny. I mean, here, both of them love God, and both of them do things for God. I mean, you two make believe if you're an actress, and you tell people about God if you're, if you're a nun. So I thought it was the same thing. But when I was in eighth grade, I got cast into a play. 
that did it with the nun business. I was going to be an actress, and that's what I did. I went away to college, and I studied theater, and oh, it was wonderful because I was, I was preparing myself for what I knew I was going to do. Well, I also was engaged. I got engaged to a very, very prominent Roman Catholic. Uh-huh. <laughs> we were going to get married when I graduated. And, you know, the Holy Spirit is wonderful. I don't know how he does it, but he sort of puts crazy things into your mind and you say, where did that come from? And then you say it and, you, and then you know why. We were walking along one day and I said to him, you know, when we have children, I'd like to have two boys and then a girl. And he said, well, Sure. We'll have boys and girls and girls and boys. You're probably going to have 13 children. And I said, huh? 13 children? Are you going to carry 10 of them? And he said, that was not even funny. You cannot possibly be talking about birth control. And I said, sure. I'm talking about birth control. And he said, but that's a sin. You can't do it. Uh, And he hustled me off. And for three months... I sat on the front steps of the Jesuits while they tried to tell me it was a sin to practice birth control. And finally they threw up their hands and they said, well, if you don't think it's a sin, it's not a sin. Wrong thing to say to me. If it's a sin for you, then it should be a sin for me. And if it's not a sin for me, then it shouldn't be a sin for you either. So I thought, I'm not going to put up with this. I don't want to be involved with a church where they have rules for them and rules for somebody else. There's only one God. We've all got to have the same rules. So I walked away from the Catholic church. Well, (laughs) my boyfriend, my fiancé, also walked away from me, which was great. He wasn't right for me anyway. (laughs) So anyway, I worked while I was in college doing um, volunteer work for mentally retarded children. And... I don't know, have you ever been around a mentally retarded child? They're, they're, they're so needy. I mean, they hold on to you. Please don't leave. I mean, they're just dragging at you, you know? And they're such sweet children. They're so, so beautiful. And I saw even their parents didn't want them. These kids became castaways. Nobody wanted them. I mean, the parents would come and they'd say, oh, I can't take that child home. And you see how disruptive they are. They're, they're going to be bad in the family. I, and I said, God, how come you're so good to me and you don't care about those kids? So finally one day I said to God the Father, if you don't let me know why you're doing it to those children, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Of course, I still talked to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but I didn't talk to God the Father anymore. Anyhow, I went off to New York and I was there exactly two weeks and I got into a Broadway play. And that's unheard of. But there I was. I was in New York. And I was in a Broadway play. And people knew who I was. And I was going to all these parties. And I had a hole inside of me that was huge. There's a man called Pascal. He was a uh, French mathematician. And he says everybody has. He called it the God hole. Believe me. I know what a god hole is. I had this it, it's 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 like a hunger. It's like did you ever eat a meal and you get finished with it and you say, "You know, I'm still hungry?" Well, that's the way I was. So, I started to drink. 
I started to smoke a lot, and I knew a lot of men, biblically. And uh, it didn't do anything. It didn't fill the hole. It didn't help me. It didn't make me feel better. As a matter of fact, I felt worse. And I kept thinking, what can I do? I don't want to live like this. So there was a man, a very, very wealthy European, who kept asking me to marry him. And I thought, maybe I need to get married and have children. Maybe that will fill the hole. So I married him. He gave me everything I could ask for materially. I had furs, I had diamonds, I had pearls, I had emeralds, I had all the jewelry I wanted, I had cars, I even had my own boat. We traveled all over the world, I met all these important people, and I still had this whole nothing, nothing satisfied me. I think, well, maybe the next party. Maybe the next people that I meet. Maybe something that I eat. Nothing, nothing. Finally, one day I was sitting on the 18th floor in our condo and I looked down and I thought, if I just jump, it won't hurt anymore. And that's when the Holy Spirit really moved into my life in force. I decided to go home, spend some time with my mother. I went back to New York and I said, I want a divorce. My husband was in shock. What did I do? What do you want? What can I give you? I said, you can't give me anything. I just want a divorce. He said, no, no, you have to have something. I got to take care of you. I said, no, no, no. We even had the same attorney. The attorney said, I've never seen a divorce like this. A woman who doesn't want anything. But I didn't. I just, I wanted to be out of that. I wanted to be out of that life. Don't kid yourself. If you think, boy, if I had the money, my life would be so much better. It doesn't work that way. Believe me. I had it all. And I was miserable. It isn't money that makes the difference. Anyway, I decided I didn't want to be in the theater anymore. Uh, And I love jewelry. So I said to this friend of mine, I want to get in the jewelry business. And he said, fine, come be in the jewelry business with me. And I said, good. He was established. He had this big international jewelry company. And within a year, I was vice president of his jewelry company. I was designing. I was going all over the country. I was doing, you know, these personal appearances. And I was being written up in New York Times and Gentleman's Quarterly. You know, I was on top, right? And I was miserable. Still had the hole. Still not satisfied. Talking to a friend of mine one day, I said, you know, no matter what I do, nothing, nothing makes me feel good. There was a time, a long time ago, when, you know, I had this relationship with God, and I I felt so good, I felt so safe, I, I felt so secure. But then he betrayed me, because he did something to innocent children, and I've never been able to forgive him for it. And she said, have you ever heard about reincarnation? Well, at that time, I didn't even know how to spell it. 
So she gave me some books. I started reading it. I got very, very involved in New Age. I got so involved in New Age, I was, it's called channeling, where, you know, supposedly you hear something from somebody and, you know, your great-grandmother said she loves you to wear gray shirts because it brings out the color of your eyes. Or, you know, uh, your uh, father who died said, you know, and I'm doing all these things and, and I'm, I'm walking up, people are, have broken backs, I can put my hands on their backs and by x-ray the, they're healed. And I mean, I'm doing all of these fantastic things. And one day the man who was head of this big church said to me, uh, I've been to the doctor, I am not well, uh, I'm, I'm dying, and I want you to head the church. And the minute he said that, I thought about how he lived his life, and he had his rules, and then there were rules for them. I was back in the Catholic Church again. I mean, rules for them and rules for... No, I didn't want it. I walked away from that. I said, you know, this hasn't made me happy. I am not satisfied. I still have this hole. Some place, somewhere, there's got to be something that makes me feel like a real person. So my mother said, why don't you come to Sacramento? They were living in Sacramento. And do a television show. Well, I had done... I had a television show in New York on ABC. I had television shows in Texas and in um, Chicago. No, Chicago, I was doing radio, sorry. And so I said, okay, fine. So uh, I went to Sacramento, started this uh, television show, and it became a big, big success. It was the biggest show in Northern California, okay? So I'm back at the top again, right? Happy, wrong. Miserable. But then I started to feed on this thing. People would come in and they'd say, Oh, you are so wonderful. I love the way you wear your hair and your clothes are so great. And I name my children after you. And my husband thinks you're fantastic. And all of a sudden, I start believing this. It's really easy. Feel sorry for people that are in a high position because. They can get hooked the same way I got hooked. And God is so good. He will knock you off your perch if you're not careful. I got to tell you, he knocked me off my perch. He taught me a lesson I'll never forget. I was doing a television show and these people came in and said, uh, they were from, anybody here heard of Paradise, California? I didn't even think there was a place called Paradise, California. Anyhow, they came on and they said, uh, we're doing a, um, uh, a gold nugget or weekend, and we want you to be the grand marshal in our parade. And I said, oh, that's so sweet of you. And of course, I'd love to do it if I can. I had no intention. I'm going to go to some little place called Paradise and ride a horse? I don't think so. I mean, not when I had a big weekend planned in San Francisco with all these wonderful people and we're going to have a, a big supper and we're going to go to the theater and, you know, I've got a big social thing going and I'm supposed to go to Paradise? Uh-uh, not me. I'm important, right? And then I got to thinking, you know, without... My public, I'm nothing. I owe something to my public. So I called the fellow I was supposed to go with and I said, look, I can't go. Um, my public 
wants me to ride this horse in their parade. And he said, great, I'll go with you. And I thought, great, now he'll know how really important I am, you know. That's terrific, you know. And my ego's getting so big. I mean, I put on my red cowboy hat, and I put on my red blue jeans, and my red high heel boots, and my long flash, eyelashes, took my long hair, made it into a ponytail here, and I arrived in paradise. Now, I hadn't told anybody I was coming. I mean, they should have known when I arrived. The whole town should have known I was there. Except nobody recognized me. And I'm walking up and I'm saying, How there? Howdy, partner. How you doing? Fine. Uh-oh. Uh, how you doing, sister? Fine. And I went, Ooh, this isn't going too well. I saw a lady and she was dusting off this bench and I said, well, you know, obviously they didn't get a horse for me. Obviously nobody knows I'm here. (laughs) Why don't we just sit down and we can watch the parade? And he said, okay. My bottom is that far from being on the bench. And this woman came running over and she said, you can't sit there. That's for very important people. (laughs) I laughed so hard. What a fool. I thought all the time it was me. Wasn't me. It was God using me. God gave me the talent and the ability to do a television show. And it had nothing to do with me. And I was taking all the glory. And he went, uh, uh, uh. I'm the one the glory goes to. And I love that story. And I love to tell it because I love for people to know just how much God cares and how he'll pull you back on the right road when you start wandering off. Well, it was a great story and I learned a lot, but I still wasn't happy. And that was when I got an opportunity to go to the legislature. And what I did at the legislature was I taught legislators how to do radio and television and how to dress and how their wives should look adoringly when they're speaking and how they should talk. And and it was great, you know. I mean, I knew all their secrets and I was in on the middle of everything and I knew all the bills they were carrying and I told them how to present their bills and it was wonderful. Here I was, you know, we're shaking the world up. And I still had the hole. And then one day, one day... He walked in. The most wonderful man I have ever known. All I knew about him for three years. I used to watch him. I had a squawk box in my office and I could turn it on to any one of the committee meetings. And every time he had a committee meeting, I would mark out, I'm sorry, I have no time for you. No, my schedule is booked. Close the door. And I'd listen to him. Oh, this man was a quintessential gentleman. He was so patient. People would come in and he'd say, is there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, Are you sure that you've... I mean, so kind. People would come in and, and he helped them and he cared. And then I learned that he believed he was a servant of the people. And this man, this wonderful man, became my husband. And I adored him. 
absolutely adored him. Our telephone number was in the phone book in case you needed him day or night. He was, what can I tell you? I had the greatest marriage anybody can have. And we used to talk, and they used to say, you know, I love you so much, and I am so happy, but I still don't feel complete. And he talked about it, too. He'd been raised Catholic, and he'd walked away from the Catholic Church. And, you know, we, we talked about, well, maybe if we'd had children, maybe that's what fills people up. Well, obviously, we didn't have any children. And one day, I went to the doctor and found out that I had colon cancer. And our world, our perfect world, was really shaken. Well, the doctor said, you know, you have to have chemotherapy and radiation. And if there are doctors here, I apologize to you, but I'm very stubborn. I said, no chemo and no radiation, God's going to cure me. Now, I'm still mad at God the Father, right? But there's Jesus and and the Holy Spirit, and I figured that, you know, they're going to come in and they'll do the work. So, every month for... About 10 months, I went to the doctor. And every month he'd say, well, you're going to take chemo or radiation. We've got to get this taken. Oh, yes, doctor, I will. But I don't have time to talk about it now. We'll talk about it next time. Finally, I go in and he said, that's it. He said, it has now spread. You either take radiation or don't come back. I don't want you for a patient. You are the worst patient I've ever had. Now, you have to understand, I was taking I turned orange. I drank so much carrot juice. I did everything. Anytime. You've got, a, you've got somebody that'll work. If it's natural, I'll take it. I was spending thousands of dollars. I was praying. I knew God was going to cure me. He not only did not cure me, now I've got it spread. And I went home and I cried and I prayed and I said, I, I don't understand it. Why would you have done this to me? I trusted you. And then I thought, maybe, in case you haven't got it, you know, I do still have a problem with pride. And I thought, well, maybe I was too prideful. Maybe I thought I was smarter than the doctors. Maybe you're trying to teach me another lesson. If you are God, I'll do anything you tell me to do. I'll take arsenic. If that's what you want me to do, I I, I will do anything. But tell me, tell me really, really loud so that I know what you want me to do. Well, the next day, a friend of mine called. I hadn't talked to him, oh, almost nine, ten months. He said, how are you doing? And I said, well, it looks like I'm going to have to have chemo. And I said, and I just really don't want to do it. I've been fighting it. He said, you know, that's really interesting. He was in the health business. He said, a man came in to see me yesterday afternoon, and he said, he has a cancer for cure, a cure for cancer. I said, terrific. And he said, well, he said, you know, he said he has a cure for cancer. They've never tried it on any living person. They've tried it on animals. I said, they can try it on me. He said, no, no, no. <laughs> that's not the way it works, you know. I mean, it could kill you. And I said, that's okay. You know, I'll try it. This is my answer. It's better than arsenic. So he said, well, all right, I'll send it to you. But he said, you've got to promise me one drop in two ounces of water every two hours. Okay. No, no, no. He said, I'm serious now. One drop in two ounces of water every two hours. Sure, sure. Okay. So he sends me a bottle this big. Well, I'm Hungarian. 
And that means if one drop's good, ten drops are better. So I was taking it by the tablespoon. At the end of 28 days, I've gone through the whole bottle. Go back to the doctor. The doctor examines me, does all of his tests and everything, and he said, well, make an appointment, and I'll see you in six months. And I said, are you telling me I'm cured? He said, I didn't say that. He said, I just said, I don't have to see you for six months. I said, thank you very much. I went back. I called my friend and I said, listen, we've got a cure for cancer. We've got to go out and we've got to tell everybody. He said, are you crazy? He said, do you know you've got a prison for that? You can't tell people you've got a cure for cancer. I said, but it cured me. He said, but you can't tell people. I said, yes, I can. We can go to health food stores and I can tell people what happened to me. And if they want to, they can take it. It didn't kill me, so it's got to be okay. And, you know, we can help people that way. So I talked to my husband. My husband says, sure, go ahead and do it. So we did it, you know. But there was a problem. You see, he was an Adventist. Every time we got in the car and the car door was closed he started in on Adventism and he'd tell me things like God created the earth in six days honey, I went to college I studied evolution I didn't tell him how stupid he was I was very polite about the whole thing then he said, you know that uh, Adventists don't eat pork how can you eat eggs benedict without Canadian bacon? And he didn't eat things like, like shrimp or crab or lobster or any of the things that were good. They didn't drink. They didn't dance. They didn't have any fun. What was what this? But I was so sweet. I was wonderful. I got headaches. My halo was so tight. <laughs> Finally, after 11 or 12 months, I couldn't stand it anymore. I said, look, I'll make you a deal. I'll go to that church of yours. If you promise me you'll never again mention Adventism. He said, okay. I said, you got a deal. He said, well, I'll pick you up and we'll go to Sabbath school. Sabbath school? Honey, when I was a kid, we used to go to catechism class. But here was a grown man and he's telling me he's going to take me to Sabbath school before you go to church. I made a deal. I said, fine. And I went. Well, we went to the Sabbath school, and have you ever been in Sabbath school where there's one person who knows everything? (laughs) She was there. No matter what anybody said, she had the answer. I sat there through that whole time, and I got up, and he looked at me, and he said, I know. I said, you're right. I kept my deal, and I'm out of here. So we started to get out. Well, the head elder was a friend of his, and he grabs him by the arm and takes him down the center aisle. His wife takes me down the side aisle. Now, can you imagine? I mean, here we were together. You would think he'd seat us together. No, we're a whole pew apart. He's here, and I'm way down there. I went, oh, well. Then you know what happened? They got up and they read the bulletin. Now, I knew these people were stupid, but I thought they were at least literate. Somebody had to read to them. (coughs) Then somebody got up and attacked the violin amateur hour. It was awful. I don't think they'd ever had a lesson on the violin. And then the pastor said, and now we are going to have praise time. You know the woman from Sabbath school? Stands up. Oh, 
Oh, he said, last night my boyfriend beat me up. My kids are on drugs and I can't pay the rent. That's it. That's it. These Adventists need a psychiatrist. They're all crazy. And I'm trying to get his attention. I want out of there. What insanity did I get involved in? And then it happened. Does anybody here know who Ron Cluzet is? Ron Cluzet is now head of evangelism for North, for North America. He was a pastor. See, I was raised Catholic. Then I went into New Age. I never heard anybody preach in the spirit. This man got up. I have no idea what he preached. I, if my life depended on it, I couldn't tell you what he said. I can only tell you that the Holy Spirit filled me I, I walked out of there, black mascara running down my face. I'm crying so hard and saying, yes, 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 I'm going to be an Adventist. I went home and I said to my husband, guess what? It's full. I'm full. The Holy Spirit, I'm full. I don't hurt anymore. And God love him. My husband studied with me and we both got baptized into the Adventist church. Amen. Well, I know it was that God worked things out the way it should because my husband died. I could never have handled it had I not been a Adventist because our study, our knowledge of the state of the dead helped me through that. It helped me understand. He was lying there. He'd been in a, a coma for uh, three months and he came out of it long enough to say I love you but I want to go and I said I love you and I want you to go and when you open your eyes I'm going to be standing there and we're going to go with Jesus and he died that night and I thought what am I going to do how am I possibly going to go on living without him we did everything together, 25 years of sharing. Of uh, we, There was nothing that we... My mother stayed with us when she had cancer. She said, I've never been around two people. You laugh so much. The walls reflect your laughter. We were... It was a joyous, happy, wonderful, perfect marriage. We never had an argument. wasn't my fault. I always tried. <laughs> but when somebody says to you, that's all right, darling. It's not that important. You can't argue with them. But I walked the hall and I said, Lord, please, I don't know what to do. And you know, that was when the Holy Spirit moved into my house. In force, he moved in. And he said to me, it's payback time. You have gotten all these things all these things have been given to you. You've had a good life. Now it's time for you to go out and tell other people that God loves them and share it with them. And I said to him, why didn't you tell me this before? And he said, because you weren't ready. And it's true. I had to go through those things to know, to have the value, to understand that it's not things that are important. It's relationship 
It's your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's your relationship with the Father. It's your relationship with your spouse, with your children, with your community. That's what's important. It's relationship and it's not things. And he was, he blessed me so much. So I started, 10 years ago, I started doing campaigns. And I was doing them by myself. And one night in Ghana, uh, it was hot. Ooh. I tell you, it it is so hot in Ghana, you open the door, it feels like somebody threw a bucket of water at you. I mean, you are drenched immediately. So I decided, you know, the room was hot and stuffy, and I had a roommate who was difficult. And uh, so I went, walked over to the um, auditorium. And there, under this very dimly lit, kind of dirty auditorium, sat my friend Peach Canoodle. Peach, stand up so everybody knows who you are. Not only is Peach my partner and my friend, but she is also Jill's aunt. So you see, that makes me part Honus, right? Because I'm part Knittle, okay, and I'm part Dalwig, and I'm part of you because you're my family too. Anyway, Peach was married, because, and she and her husband were there, and they were doing a campaign. And uh, so I met them that one night, and she went to where they were going, and I went up country to do mine. But we kept in touch. And her husband passed away, and she said, I'd like to do what you're doing. I'd like to do it with you. And I said, great. You know, all of a sudden, you know, to be a partner with somebody, it's kind of like being married, you know? I mean, you really have to get along. Well, she has been an angel. She's got a halo, too. Gives her bad headaches. Uh, But... uh, Paige fills in all of the gaps for me because her grandparents were good friends of Sister White's and they used to go on buggy rides. She went all through the schools, through you know grade school and high school and college, so she knows all about Adventism. So the things I don't know about, she knows. So when we travel now, she works with the youth ministers and the young people because I've never had any children and she had. So we balance each other out, and we're able to work it together. Well, I had been in India several years before, and a man came up to me, and he said, um, I was raised Hindu, and I tried to read your Bible, but he said, I never could understand it. And he said, and then I saw this paper with this funny-looking white woman on it, and I thought I'd come once to see what you had to say. And he said, I have been here every single night. And he said, I understand it now. And he said, I want to get baptized, and my wife's going to get baptized, and my little boy's going to get baptized. And I was so excited. I could just feel. You could feel. You know, when somebody really loves the Lord, you know, it's like it spills out. You know, it's contagious. I, I could feel how much he loved the Lord. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. And he said, I don't want anything to do with Hinduism. He said, give me a Christian name. And I said, Okay. I'll name you Daniel. And, oh, it was terrific. That night, there were a couple of thousand people there. And I said, you know, I, I would have come for any one of you because, you know, I, I, I love you all. But I said, there's one man here tonight. I would have gone around the world for Daniel because he truly, truly loves the world, the Lord. And I can see what he is going to do. I mean, I knew that this man was going to convert all the Hindus in um, Madras. Well, 
when Peach and I got together, we were on our way. I was on my way to India, and I said, wait till you meet Daniel. You are going to love Daniel. Daniel's on fire for the Lord. You've never seen anybody who loves the Lord like he does. Well, I got up. I did my, 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 uh, my meetings. He never came to any of the meetings, and he didn't send me a note. And finally, I said to the pastor one day, well, what, what happened to Daniel? He hasn't come to any of my meetings. And she said, he said, well, you know, Daniel smoked. And we told Daniel not to come back until he stopped smoking. I was furious. See, I know all about smoking. I used to smoke. As a matter of fact, when I was writing, I would have, I'd go through five packs of cigarettes a day. I'd have ashtrays all over. Smoking, they were all lit. And then I'd light up another cigarette. And I'd, in the dark, in the bathroom, on my car, wherever I was, I always had a cigarette hanging out of my mouth. Okay? Well, when I decided that I was going to quit cigarettes when I got my cancer, I went cold turkey. And for two years, I didn't, didn't smoke. But if I saw somebody smoking, I'd walk over. Oh, you know, I, just, I love black blouses and that black and white skirt, anything. To smell that stupid cigarette smell because I wanted it so bad. I used to walk around with a pencil hanging in my mouth. <laughs> oh, just, oh, how I would love to have the cigarette, you know? It is the most horrible addiction you cannot believe. One day, a young man came up to my house. And he had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And he says, lady, I got a package for you. If you'll sign for it, I'll give it to you. And I ran over to him, grabbed him by the neck, and I said, if you'll blow smoke in my face. This kid looked at me with such disgust. Like I was some kind of dirty old woman, you know. And I signed for it, and I went in, and I knelt down. And I said, God, I can't do it. I cannot do it. For two years now, I haven't smoked, and I can't do it anymore. I used to, even when I was at the church, you know, I'd smoke up to the, the corner of the church, and then I'd put out the cigarette and go in and think nobody knew I was smoking. I mean, it is, it is the worst of all addictions, and I said, I cannot do it. You have got to take it from me. Like that, he took it. Like that, he took my addiction. What if somebody had said to me, don't come back until you get over it. What if somebody had said to me, don't wear sleeveless blouses, make sure you wear a blouse, honey, when you come to church the next time. What if somebody had said, I don't like blonde hair, can't you do something with that? Or don't wear the jewelry. When we point our fingers at somebody, you got three more coming back. I said to Peach, it doesn't do any good for us to baptize people. We've got to start loving people. We have to start loving them into our church. We can't have a revolving door back there. I don't care who it is that comes back through that door. They are a child of God, and they deserve to be loved. And that's what we do. We travel now all over the world. We, came, we did a four-and-a-half-month trip the last time. Africa, India, Egypt. I even pre preached in Dubai, which was pretty exciting. But you know... We talk about the Lord is coming, and he is, for some of us, sooner than others. Each one of you has been told by Jesus Christ in the Bible, I read it to you this morning. Each one of you is to be a disciple. Each one of you is to share 
what he has given to us. We are Adventists. We should be the most joyous people in the world. We have the assurance of salvation. We need to share it with other people. People say to me, oh, well, I wish I could do what you do. And I always say, honey, I wish I could bake a cake. I don't know how to bake a cake. But you do. You can bake a cake. You can take it to somebody. You can buy a loaf of bread. You can take it to a new neighbor. You can ask somebody. I don't care whether they're Jews or Hindus or Buddhists. They're all children of God. And every single one of them need to know how much he loves them. Every one of them need the freedom of knowing that when he comes, he's coming with his reward. Don't think that you can't do it. You all have something to share. Now, Peach and I are sharing it in a different way. We have a, what's called a 501c3, and it's, um, as a matter of fact, there are these in the back. If you want to, you can look through it. You can see the things that we're doing, the places that we've been. And, you know, if you want to help us, fine. If you don't, please remember us in prayer. That's our mission. I don't know where your mission is, but I will tell you, Christ rose from the dead. And the thing that he said as he was going back to his father was, be and make disciples. And I charge each of you, make disciples and share his love with others. Beloved Father, dearest Jesus, Holy Spirit, oh Lord, we praise you and thank you for being with us today. Lord, I ask that you touch each one who is here. Holy Spirit, you're so good to me. I always know that you're with me. I ask that you have every single person here know and be aware that you are with them. Guide them, help them, show them. Oh, what joy there is in serving you. Let them know that too, Lord. Bless them in all the things that they do. Let them know that you have a plan for them, Lord, and that that they will choose the thing to do that pleases you because they love you. Lord, I ask blessings upon them all. I ask blessings upon this church, upon the pastor and his wife and all of the deacons and the deaconesses and the elders. Lord, let us all become disciples that we might teach others to walk in your way. In your precious name, amen.